Sandra Dawson, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. As Head of Management Studies, the theme of this interview is women in business. Firstly, do you think women have a distinct or different management style to to men? It can be debatable. It can. I mean, essentially, I think individuals have a style. And the question is, are more women one way than another? Because women are certainly not one sort of style. And I think in general, you could say that probably more women than men are more empathetic, have more consideration for understanding other points of view, and I think looking at a rather wholer, bigger picture. But of course, there are men who can do that as well, and there are some women who can't do it at all. So I don't think women are like this and men are like that. I think it put on the balance of probabilities, you might find more women uh, with, a, with a greater humanity towards the way in which they manage. Okay, well, let's go into the tough follow-up question first. If there had been more women in the boardroom during this recession... Uh, in the banks, might we have seen some kind of, ah, but should we really be uh, expanding this fast? Should we really be uh, developing these financial uh, instruments? Might the women, had they been in the boardroom, have tempered some of the the decision-making? I don't think so. I don't think we've got any evidence to say that. I think the question is, would could we have more women merchant bankers, more women investment bankers, more women on the board? Um, What can we do about the pipeline? But I don't think we could say what would have happened to this recession. As far as I'm aware, the decisions that were made that have led the banks and other corporations into uh, the state that they're in have been made by boards in which there have been some women, myself included in one of them. But I don't think we can make a gender difference about that. But in Iceland, they have, on the back of the bailout of the banks and and the financial institutions, they have indeed uh, legislated to put more women into the boardrooms. Is that a good decision? Well, I think there are two issues. One is, should you legislate for more women in the boardroom? And I'm not personally in favour of that. Or should you um, have, would you think that more women would have stopped this financial crisis? And I don't think that there's any evidence for that at all. Um, it might be, it might not be. But the first question on should you legislate for more women? I want to do everything I can to increase the pipeline of women who will fit on boards and who will get to the top of companies. But I don't want to do that by saying you've got to have 40% because I know that I myself do want to be number 39 out of 100 and be thought to be there simply because I'm a woman and I may not have the skills. And I think that would do me a great disservice and it would also do the corporations a great disservice. So I'm much more in favour of doing everything to improve the pipeline. I'm not in favour of targets mainly because I don't think that they'll achieve the purposes that it is said to achieve, and I don't think they'll be good for the women who find themselves in these pools of quotas. If you had to say, well, a woman's management style is like this, perhaps more empathetic and caring, and a man's management style is like that, are there any differences that you have discerned throughout your career as a woman who who has risen to the top? Again, I think it's so difficult to make big generalizations between men and between women. When I say that women are more empathetic, I think that affects their management style with their colleagues and with the people who work with them. I don't think it makes them any less tough 
for making sound business decisions. So if you've got to make a decision in which, with regret, there's to be restructuring and there is to be um, redundancies, I don't think women are less likely to make those decisions. What I think they're likely to do is to think about the consequences and to anticipate the change so that you would do more on seeking to increase the employability of your workforce, you would do more to enable them to move uh, to better jobs, you would do more about how you communicated the change. But I don't in any way want to suggest that women are less tough. I think, though, the way in which they anticipate decisions and the way in which those decisions are implemented reflects their style. If we look to women in British politics from 1997, we had the so-called Blair Babes, but we've seen Estelle Morris when she was Secretary of State for Education. We've seen Ruth Kelly drop out of government, and you could say government is a form of management. Do you think it is tough if women have children uh, or if women perhaps don't want to adopt the values of a certain management structure? Mm. I've always stayed rather away from politics and not talked about political leadership, although I talk a lot about business leadership. That doesn't mean I've not got views on it, but I don't regard myself as... It is very visible at the moment. I think that there are several things there. One is that I do think that if you are a minority whether it's a woman or whether it's someone from a different racial background, and you are seen to stumble, people are less likely to support you because they are less likely to understand your position. So I do think that women have a tougher time when things get bad. I think what happens is people get very excited at the thought of promoting women. Most men want to promote women, in fact. They get very excited. They find their protégé. She rises to the top. It is the most wonderful and extraordinary thing. And then she makes a mistake. That mistake is much, much more visible. And there, sometimes the support falls away. So I think it's a rather complicated thing for understanding why uh, there's a special vulnerability to being a woman at the top, which I think there is. Then there's the question of how do you balance all of that with your family life? And I think, again, that for women's balance with their family life, it is more difficult. As a mother, I know that I feel differently about our children than my husband does. He loves them as much as I do. He, I'm sh- I know he feels as proud and involved a parent, but he doesn't have that feeling that absolutely, from naught probably till they're 50 or beyond, I feel a sense of responsibility about my children that I would put in a different context to his. It's a psychological holding, isn't it? I think it is. And I think there are a few women who don't experience that. But in my experience, my personal experience, I feel that. And I know more women who feel that than men. I remember um, when one of our children was away in Africa. And I at one point said to my husband, do you think about her every day? And he looked at me amazed and said, why would I do that? Um, and so I think that we feel this... We both have an equal love and investment in our children, but the um, connection with the mother is different. And I think that that does create very serious um, inhibitions. And I think that if more men could understand that, then there would be more understanding of women in tough jobs. If you look at that, I think the the comparative research shows that that if a woman's in a management system and she doesn't have children, she earns a little bit more than men, which is quite surprising. But if you do have 
have children, your career takes a step back. Indeed, that's what Ruth Kelly, as a mother of four, said she was doing. She was stepping back because she wanted yes. to spend more time with the family. And men have done it too. But, but do, you, do you think that does actually determine how far you rise in the organisation? I'm sitting here with you, Sandra, and I would say no. <laughs> well, I think that sometimes it does. And it is difficult for any reason to be out of the mainstream of your occupation and your profession. And I think organisations should work exceptionally hard at keeping in touch, enabling women to keep in the networks, to really be seen to be part of the organisation, even though they're taking time out. This is difficult. It requires real investment, and that's where I would like to see investment made. So taking a step back does take you out of the main field. It can disadvantage you, and also it can make you very much aware of other things you might want to do in your life. And again, I'm very much in favour of individuals charting their own life. Um, But I I would like society, families, communities to think much more about how we can support 50% of the population who are women to have... Uh, their families, to really invest in their families and, again, to have their contribution in the boardroom, not just for the women, but because, going back to the earlier point, I think organisations are enriched by having a diversity. And, in fact, if I relate that to the point about the financial crisis... One of my fears is that out of the financial crisis, we will have less diversity in the boardroom because it will be thought that you've got to have people who have deep specialist understanding and that women typically aren't large in that pool. That, I think, would be a serious mistake because I think you do need the breadth, not that necessarily having it would have stopped the crisis. If we move on to that glass ceiling, is it as someone who specialises in management systems and has got to the top in your career, is it real or is it imagined? It's both. It's both. Because, you see, that if you think it's there, you behave as if it were there and you perhaps become rather more defensive and or perhaps you give up. So there's both the imagination. The reality is that because, again, there are so few women coming through in the pipeline, there are few of them who can rise above it. If the question is a woman equal um, capacity as a man sitting being adjudicated for a post, most organisations I know actually, given that situation, would want to promote the woman. There's nobody who is saying don't have her because she's a woman, but there are less women to choose from and so you get an appearance of a glass ceiling. Can we look at different sectors now, financial services, we've talked about politics as well, and and perhaps universities, Um, we're sitting at at Cambridge University. Um, Do you think it varies in terms of how women are treated in the workforce, and is there a point at which numbers make a difference, like the so-called Blair's Babes, when a lot of them break through together? Can they change a management system? I think that numbers do make a difference. And so you might say to me, well, why aren't you in favour of targets? But I've explained why I'm not in favour of targets. So I think numbers do make a difference. Rather cynically, I might say, that the moment professions begin to pay less proportionately, that is the time that professions become 
much more open to women because the men are moving on. I remember being in Imperial College years ago and celebrating the fact that we had a small number of women civil engineers, nearly all of whom had got firsts. And so I organized a celebration. We had everyone who got firsts in civil engineering that year, many more women than men. We went around the room and we said, where are you going? The women were in engineering. Wonderful, success for engineering. The men were in banking. Higher salaries, higher status, and they had gone off and the women were in engineering because the places were available because now less men were applying for them. If you look at all sorts of professions, as women become strong and dominant in them, those are the professions which relatively are earning less. And so I think we've got some big structural issues to address but that's a comment on your question about numbers, and I think numbers do make a difference. We are indeed sitting here at the last week of April 2009. It's a historic week for women and other minorities because the government has published its new equality bill. It's supposed to be one of the most progressive pieces of legislation of its kind in Europe. And, and indeed, uh, talk of pay audits and equal pay is Im- embedded in that, and that's been uh, greeted uh, with enthusiasm by all parties in, in different degrees. Do you think that uh, legislation of this kind can act as thought leadership for, for managers? It can make a difference just simply by being there, yet alone trying to take an action through it. I do, and this is something that I've changed over years. I used to think, would making a law really make that much difference? But over time, it does change people's mindsets. It does change the way in which what they regard as legitimate. And so I'm sure in the next, it won't be a miraculous sudden change, but increasingly boardrooms, directors of human resources, operations managers will get into their mind that it is not legitimate to seriously discriminate against women in terms of pay, which all the evidence suggests there is. Not necessarily deliberately, but that's the result. So I do think legislation makes a difference. I think it begins to change what's legitimate, and it begins to change the mindset, so that things that were thought perfectly normal and natural become illegitimate over time. And and just finally, Sandra, um, do do you think that perhaps um, having sort of watched yourself and your your other um, friends rise within business, within a university culture as well, that there there are any tips you can give women for their, their careers? Is it just perhaps stamina keep going when the others drop out? Well, I think stamina's got a lot to do with it. And I think their women have an advantage because when people say to me, how do you manage on so little sleep? I say it was that time when I had young babies and I was working full time. And if you've got a sick child until three in the morning and you know you've got to be doing something at eight o'clock the next morning, you just find inner resources. And that has actually stood me in extraordinary good stead for the next 30 years. So for someone who used to say she needed eight hours sleep a day that experience has gone by so I do think stamina I do think optimism being optimistic and not seeing oneself uh, defensively um, believing in oneself which relates to how not being excessively arrogant at all but having a sense that you can do something and you can do a job and making sure if you can that you have relationships with people who also support you. I mean, undoubtedly, if one goes home to somebody who doesn't share your commitment to your development, it must be deeply, deeply 
frustrating and debilitating both for the relationship and for your career. And one thing that I give enormous thanks for is that that was a joy, has always been a joy for me. Other people have said to me, oh, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't say that, because that's um, making less of your contribution and, and again, saying it's uh, to do with your husband or your family. But I would say that we share that. And so choosing who you're with outside work is as important to your work situation as what happens in the work situation. And just finally, at what point, we've got the Equality Bill being published this week, as I said, but but at what point will you in your long-lived career, which has taken a lot of support from others, you seem to be saying, and stamina, will you think, well, we have broken through the glass ceiling, things are different now to when I started in my career? I think things are different in terms of how people are looked at. I don't think that when I was 18, there was any thought that most 18-year-old women would have careers. I didn't think I myself would have a career at 18. I thought I'd go to university, and then who knows what would happen. And I think now there is a difference. I think the young women I see of 18, 21, 25, 30, they all have a greater sense of their own contribution and what they can make and how they will develop beyond the home. I don't think that uh, we have not seen, we have not had the the, uh, strong development of women in the workplace that 30 years ago I would have hoped for. And part of that is for reasons that we've discussed. So when will I see it? It will be evolutionary. And I think it's going to take rather a long time, but I will do everything I can to make sure that young women have a strong sense of the possibilities that they have before them and that the world is actually their oyster. And with that optimism, then I think there's a lot that actually will be done and I think you will find boardrooms and organisations responsive to that. I don't think you'll find them deliberately shutting doors at all. And, of course, we'll all rely on a lot less sleep. Sandra Dawson, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. Okay, I'm very, very pleased to have discussed everything with you.